Caution. Learning in progress. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Smarter Every Season. I'm Nate Burnham. We're, we're going to be uh, going through this one today, and I got Clay Scott with me. Clay, how are we doing? Great. How are you, Nate? Oh, you know, we're starting to get a little busy. It's picking up. Yeah. Slowly, slowly and steadily picking up. We're getting there. Yeah. It's fun, though. It's yep. fun. A lot of, lot of prescriptions, boundaries, and still those uh, install calls trickling in. Oh, yeah. Well, Clay, today we're going to continue on with our, our training recap series, and... Our guest really needs no introduction. No. I mean, no. if I'm being serious, whether you've called in or whether you listen to the podcast, we got Hans Stutzman with us, and you all know and love him. Good morning. How you guys doing? Doing good. Good. So, Hans, how have you been? Uh, good. It's it's that uh, it's that post-training, pre-spring craziness where you just kind of feel like you have a ton of stuff you should get done, and you just kind of want to find a place to, to rest for a little bit. <laughs> you walk so. out of training and walk into the farm show and then spring. Yeah. Yeah. I feel yep. bad because it seems like every time you're like actually getting something done, I have a question for you <laughs> that I'm, I'm on the phone and I get stuck and I'm like, ah, Hans knows the answer. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I think that's what my job is. So I'm good with that. I'm well, good with that. You're greatly appreciated. Yeah. So you, you helped out with the hydraulic and electrical theory class for training. Yep, me and Kirby together worked on that one. What were, what were some of the highlights? Before we kind of dive really deep into it, what were some of your favorite parts? You know, I think one of the, the cool things, we've talked about hydraulic theory and we've talked about electrical theory for a lot at Precision in years past. We've covered it several different ways. And um, this year was uh, just a different flavor than we came into it. But what I think was, was kind of cool was to see um, – we, we spent a little more time on power beyond and kind of some of the uh, load sense lines. And then we, we, that was kind of cool to see some of the guys connect the dots on some of that, the stuff that we've talked about before, but it was kind of specific to how Delta force worked. I um, think that's only going to become more pop, more popular as we move forward. Yeah. Late model tractors becoming more readily available used and stuff like that. I think that was, that was a good direction to take it. It was, it was kind of a cool spot to, to make the connection for it. Yep. Um, I did enjoy the electrical side of it. I think, it, it was um, the way we tried this year was just to try and tie it to a little bit more personal connection to it, not so much abstract theology to it. So it was kind of a, it was, I think those are two of the, the highlights. And then we did a decent amount of hands out, hands on stuff that helped to kind of tie everything together for them. Awesome. So. I want to talk a little bit about pressure and flow. I talk about pressure and flow a lot being on the liquid side. Um, I can only imagine it's the same theory, but talk to me a little bit about what you guys talked about for pressure and flow with hydraulics. Yeah, so we didn't come out and, and state it quite as clearly as you guys do in liquid in your elect in your uh, like VPI HD in your liquid sessions. But um, we talked a lot about where does pressure start to create when you get a restriction on something. That's where you're starting to build pressure. That's where you start to um, limit the flow. When you limit the direction of the flow, what does your pump actually do? Your pump's creating the pressure um, within your tractor. So um, a lot of times when you can talk about it, you can, we actually tie some of them together with, um, an open center or closed center hydraulic system on a tractor. Your open center pump is always flowing, is creating a flow. It always has the flow there. And what your difference is, is that with an open center system, that flow goes right back in a tank and never builds to a pressure point. Whereas a closed center system, there is no, the flow deadheads and we maintain a pressure up to what the system pressure is supposed to be or what the demand is. So um, that was kind of the rough ideas before between where we started going down pressure and flow is talking about where um, 
where do we get that pressure from? How does that create? Where does that pressure come from? That pressure is the energy piece of it. The flow is the amount of work that you can kind of get done with it. When your flow increases, you're increasing the amount of work that's going to be done. Your pressure is the energy within that flow. Was it would be kind of the the main gist of where we went through with it. So of with of training, I pressure is uh the the key thing we talked a lot about with pressure is where should you have pressure and where should you have zero pressure. That's the determining factor of where your work is getting done and where your problem is going to be. So where should we see pressure? Ah, good question. So the pressure between the supply side of where it is and your device is where you want to see pressure. After the device, wherever, whether it's a hydraulic motor, a back fan, whether that's the alternator motor, whether that's the delta four cylinder um, for a force compressor, any of those scenarios, you want to see pressure up to that uh, device. And then from that point back to the tractor, you want to see zero pressure because you don't want to be using any energy or any, any work to push the oil back to the return point. We basically just want that to free flow back to the, to the return side. And so if you have pressure there, that means you have a restriction. That means you have energy that's getting pumped into the return side of it. Yeah, and I think on our, like our Delta Force troubleshooting trees, we, we clearly state that we want to see, what is it, less than 100 PSI on that return line. Yeah, then that's what that is, is that that's any pressure on that return line is actually work that's going to get re- going back to the tank. It means you're going to reduce the amount of overall um, front side pressure. So if you have 100 PSI on the back side and you have, well, actually, let's use a different number. Let's say you have a 1,000 PSI on the return line. So between the lift manifold and the tractor on the return line going back, if you have 1,000 PSI there and you have 3,000 PSI on the supply, you still only have a 2,000 uh, PSI working pressure because you have a 1,000 that has to be used to return back to tank on the return side. And that's, a, that's one reason why we get really picky about we want to see less than 100 on the return line because that's what our overall, so that decreases. Anytime you have return pressure, that decreases the overall working pressure of your system. You're like fighting against yourself. Almost. Correct. Yep. It's like pushing down on something but then have something pushing back against you with almost equal force. Gotcha. So when we're talking about uh, remote pressure and things like that to feed something like a Delta Force manifold or, or an alternator or a compressor of some sort, where where are we checking pressure on those? Same deal, or are we looking? Are we checking return pressure on those as well? And what is that pressure? So if you're talking about on the re- power, like on, at an SCV or somewhere along yep. those lines. Yep. Um, Ideally, a lot of times if you have a pressure sensor like a lift manifold, we can tie in. There's a pressure sensor built into the block that will give us supply pressure. Everything else, you're going to have to probably tie and put a pressure gauge, like a, a run T in, in line, and then attach a pressure gauge to it, whether that's a dial gauge or uh, electronic gauge to go with it. Um, it's one reason why Delta Force, we always send a pressure kit, a pressure gauge kit with the Delta Force that you can, they're quick couplers, they pop on real, real easy to attach on the lift manifold block. Um, but they're real about that, that run T is a very valuable tool to be able to determine what your pressure is on the VAC system or any other system that's out there. And that's one reason why we often recommend guys for the, uh, M plug kits on the Delta four cylinders. We recommend at least one of those be a pressure gauge port so that you can actually check pressure out the cylinders. Is that a pretty common diagnostic port? I'm pretty sure that's a fairly common connector that we use yeah it's just a quarter inch uh, quick coupler okay it's a flat face quick coupler would probably be worth you know on those alternator compressor circuits putting a t in that way you can use the same gauge to go check those if you are running into issues super simple way and you already have the tools for it yep yep 
So, so a couple of years ago, we were chasing a uh, a planter that was getting high return pressure. We kept blowing a, a case drain seal mm-hmm. uh, on on motors, and we couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Um, and so you had to keep. We finally started. We got a set of T's, and we just started dropping them in on the case drain line at various places across the. We started at the hitch of the tractor and kept working our way back. Um, and we were we were actually. I remember how we were doing this. We we got it at high pressure at the tractor, and as we worked our way back, we finally got to the point that we dropped one device, one of the, the motors that was tied into it, off the circuit, and all of a sudden our back pressure, our return pressure dropped. And so we said, well, it's got to be between that point going forward. So we got to looking, and that motor had an extremely high internal bypass, and that was basically creating so much flow going through the case drain that it was actually creating return pressure and blowing the, blowing the seal. So adding the T to it is exactly what you're looking to do because what you're trying to diagnose is where is that pressure being able to check it at different spots um, across the system is, is exactly what you're looking to do. Gotcha. Awesome. And we kind of touched a little bit on some aspects of plumbing. What, what did you guys talk about as far as um, like running in parallel or running in series? Um, so Kirby did a really good job with this. He took it out to the, uh, we, we, we actually built a two motor hydraulic board out in the shop and had it so we could plumb it up in series or in parallel. And so what what you see is when we put and when we, let's explain a little bit of series in parallel. In uh, in parallel, you have a T, and the pressure line goes. You have a pressure line going to each motor directly from the main main supply, and then you have separate and you have returns that come back and go to one uh, join after the motors. If you're in series, what you do is you have a pressure line going to the first motor, and then the return line of that motor, that first motor feeds the pressure side of the second motor, and then the return line feeds the tractor. So it goes through both motors. There's one pressure line going out, feeds both motors, and then comes back. That's the difference between series and parallel. And Kirby had it set up so we could actually run both motors. You could see the pressure differential between the two. When you ran a parallel, um, when you ran them in parallel, your flow rate actually increases. You get almost um, 12 gallon a minute off of the system because you have two six gallon minute motors when you run them in series, each motor regulates the flow through it. So each motor only gets six gallons, so it's less flow. But then the motor RPM actually starts to slow down the pressure drop because the first motor uses 1,500 PSI. The second motor uses 1,500 PSI. So the pressure available to each motor starts to drop at that point. So um, in a lot of cases, and if you the, – the one thing that we talked about there as well is if you change the speed of one motor, if you take have a flow control valve or one motor changes its RPM – the second motor is going to do the exact same uh, pressure or RPM change because the flow rate's the same between both motors. The pressure is different at each motor, but the flow rate's the same through each motor. Whatever one gets, the second one gets. Gotcha. It kind of just equalizes out across or between the two. Yep. Yep. Whereas most of the stuff that we want to see guys run is in a, a parallel scenario where each device gets its own supply, has its own return, it gets full system pressure, and it gets as much oil as you as it needs to run independently of anything else on the system. So one question that I think uh, we hadn't really talked about before the podcast, but it's been coming up a lot in, in our phone calls this spring, is what can we run off a of Delta Force manifold? Oh, yeah, it's a good question. Um and it's actually something that's that's been out there a while. We've talked about it. Liquid pumps are fine to run off a Delta Force manifold. The thing that we we try to make sure we we spec everything out to is that you make sure your hose sizing for that circuit is big enough to handle Delta Force plus the alternator if you have an alternator on there, and then whatever else you're trying to tie into it. So if you're tying in and a a liquid pump, 
that's got six gallon a minute for the hydraulic flow, that's fine as long as you size the hose, the main supply hose feeding the lift manifold that can handle the delta force requirements, the alternator requirements, plus that liquid system gotcha. um, that's on there. You can you can tie in on the T right before the block. Um, you can come off of a face if you have enough coming off the face. We would kind of regulate the, the face down too. If you're going to pull something off the face, we want a T right at the, the lift manifold block, not away from the lift manifold block because generally the size of hose won't handle the rows plus additional gotcha. pieces. So we try to keep it at the lift manifold or coming right out of the face. Um, that's probably the biggest things to watch for when you do it that way. Gotcha. Um, but for Air Force compressors, you can tie those in off of the lift manifold. That's not a problem. Air Force compressors, those are fine. Gotcha. Where Where do you recommend tying in from the tractor? Because you, uh, mentioned, you mentioned Power Beyond, or the yep. Jesus Port, as I like to call it. <laughs> power from the Beyond. Jesus Port. I, I like his name for it. That's a pretty good one. The Jesus Port. Power. They say that we're Power Beyond, not Power from Beyond. So, yeah. but <laughs> yes, the Jesus Power Beyond. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can pull power pressure or flow for uh, for Delta Force. I I personally, my preference is probably del- is uh, Power Beyond if you can easily do it that way. Um, the biggest thing with Power Beyond is that you want to get um, a full, at least a signal line that allows the pump to build a full system pressure. That was one of the things we talked about in length and in uh, training was how do you get Delta Four or get a Power Beyond system to run at full pr- system pressure. And the way that Power Beyond works is that it is a basically it taps into the, the pressure off the pump. Whatever the pump's running at is what the Power Beyond's going to get. Um, and a lot of times the pump will only run at whatever the maximum applied pressure or required pressure is from a regular SCV. So if you have a vac fan on an SCV with no flow control valve, there's nothing creating that restriction, which remember that restriction is what builds our pressure. If there's nothing creating that restriction, it's just you've turned the flow down on the tractor dial in the cab. Um, you're going to get 1,500 to maybe 1,800 PSI out of the pump. That's all it's going to run at. If you want to run Delta Force, you have to have a load sense line or something on there that's telling it, hey, I need full system pressure off of this Power Beyond. If I can do that, if I can get full system pressure from the Power Beyond, that's a great system to run Delta Force on. The one thing I like about it, it's an open, free-flowing port back to return. So you can set the planter down. You can do anything you want to with the with the hoses, uh, with the row units moving up and down. And there'll always be a way to flow oil back to tank. Um, that's one of the things that we actually I, I, we ran around actually ran across that a couple of days ago in support um, where we had a scenario that that wasn't the case. So I, that's one reason I like Power Beyond. It's not a we don't state that right anywhere in recommendations. There's all kinds of ways of making it work. You can you can come out of the SUV, um, both of them into the SUV and work just fine. It's just a matter. I do like the Power Beyond because it's easy to return oil that way. Yep, and especially with, you know, some of these planters that are taking up three or four remotes just for normal planter functions, we need to be able to, to pull oil somewhere else so that the planter can still go up and down and roundy round. Yep, and we don't have to do anything with the, we just need flow. Yeah. We don't need to yeah. be able to control it. We don't need to turn it on, turn it off. Um, we don't have to reverse the direction of it, so it's a great system for, for a Power Beyond, for pumps. Those are, the Power Beyond is a great way to run uh, a a Delta Force system or hydraulic motors that are just on and running. Yep. Yep. So. Awesome. Now, I sat through your guys' session months ago, and and I remember you talking a little bit about fixed displacement versus variable displacement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the things that we did with that is that we spent some time going over um, 
a fixed displacement pump is a pump that's going to output a set amount of flow no matter what. The only thing that changes is whether you spin the pump a little faster with the RPM of the tractor or whether you have the RPM pulled down. That's the only thing that really changes with it. And it's going to output. If the tractor, if it's sized for a 25-gallon-a-minute flow rate, that's what the pump can, can provide, that's what it's going to run. And the difference is um, when it's not being, the pump's running all the time on that fixed displacement. And when it's not being used by the tractor, if the tractor's not calling for any hydraulics, it just turns into a circulation pump. And there's no re restriction to it. There's no restriction to the flow, which means it doesn't build any pressure. It just turns oil through the pump right back to tank and keeps on going. They do that in the valve. That would, would That's what we normally call an open center system. When the valve's in the center, it's not pushing oil either direction. The, the center port's open, so oil flows straight back to tank. A closed center system, which is what we like to see with most of our hydraulic systems that we sell um, and what most of the new tractors have, have a variable displacement pump, which when the pump is, or when, the, when all the hydraulics are turned off and there's nothing coming out of it, the pump strokes all the way back to where it only maintains just a little bit of flow coming out of the pump. So the pump may be running full speed, but it's not actually uh, pushing any product out. It's not taking any product in or pushing any product out. It's not pumping anything at that point. It's just enough to maintain a standby pressure, 600 PSI or something along those lines. So the variable displacement on the hydraulic system then is that how much fluid is it actually, the pump's running, how much hydraulic fluid is it actually pushing out there to actually you know, hit that resistance piece that we talked about, flow versus pressure, it's creating flow. How much flow is it pushing to try and hit enough pressure that you, the desired pressure that we're looking for? Yep. So, and that's a closed center system then. Yep. And I think that's that's something that you folks as dealers need to be starting the Delta Force conversation off with. Yep. I think before we do any quoting, any any sales pitch, anything like that, we need to say, hey, what, what are you, you going to be dragging this thing around with? Yep. Because if he says, oh, you know, my 706 – well, we probably need to have another conversation. Mm. Let's, 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 let's talk about what else uh, What else you got on the farm that could be used yep. for this or what else you got that yep. – because it's not going to run Delta Force very well. Yep. Or we can, you know, we can talk about things like the, you know, command hydraulics and, and yep. kits like that that we've ran here on, on our little four rows that work really well for giving us a, a closed center pump right there on the tractor with its own reservoir and cooler and the whole deal's right there. Um, so a lot of guys have, have been going to that if they do have an older tractor that's – it's just fine for their four row. Yep. We can do that too. Yep. Awesome. Before we move on from hydraulics, do you have any fun stories? I, I heard something about, you know, slipping pigeons in there. We, uh, you know, I, I tried to do the conversion. Right? We were talking about Delta force being at uh, at full lift pressure versus, versus down. What's the maximum lift. And uh, by the way, lift pressure is 450 pounds of lift. But if you prefer a pigeon weight conversion, it's 816 pigeons is what a, a lift force is. But I slipped that right in the middle of a conversation and training one day, and no one bat an eye at it. No one even noticed it. So I might have to try it again next year. Yeah, yeah see, if they get you, see if they get you that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ori and I both slipped the word slickery into our, our slickery. training. Slickery. slickery. Like it's getting slickery outside. Yeah. <laughs> um, and nobody caught it. Nobody caught it. Nobody caught it. Or no one was willing to call you out on it. That that could be as well. That could be as well. <laughs> so if you're listening and you heard these comments in the middle of training, maybe you should uh, send us an email and let us know that you heard it. That way we, we, we know whether we're we're not talking to a stone wall somewhere. <laughs> All right. Let's let's go a little bit into electrical. Electrical. Because mm -hmm. you, you did more of the electrical than I Kirby did, did correct? Yep. Okay. Did. What was your favorite part about the electrical? 
Um, you know, one of the things I really enjoyed, we did a hands-on session where we took him out and we had him on um, the lighting boards where we had a couple of LED lights set up with a power supply and a switch and high resistance. Um, we had gone through a fair bit of conversation prior to this, talking through electrical theory, and I really liked watching guys' eyes light up when they started talking through. We had we had him turn the switch on to normal scenario where they had the lights on real bright, and they had full current. We had about a half amp per board. Um with full voltage going to it. And then we had them flip it to a resistance line and then started picking up the idea of, hey, we went from five, 12 volts to 8 volts with the resistance. Um, they That kind of like, you could kind of see the light bulbs clicking with some of that com- some of that mindset. And then you could also, uh, we took an amp clamp and with high resistance, our current dropped significantly when you get to it. And so those were, those were some really cool connection points that we had that I thought went over, were really cool to see. And then did you guys you guys unplugged when it was at eight volts you unplugged yep. and then they and then went right back to twelve right back to twelve because we yep. weren't flowing anything at that point. Um, yep. I think I used a couple of times it's the idea of you can you can hook up a Prius to a flatbed trailer with a with a uh, skid loader on the back of it, but until you start moving it looks like it's going to pull it just like fine, just fine. And that's kind of what you run into when you have no current when you have no no flowing of anything on your electrical system. Um, you're going to get 12 volts and thinks it's just fine until you try to start moving something. And then you find the resistance that's there. And that's when you start to see the voltage drop. Yep. Hans, what was this kid analogy? Oh, the kid analogy. You, I, I seem to remember you loving this analogy. I did. I don't know. I mean, um, we've talked about my kids several times on the podcast, so it's been mentioned several times. But I have I have four kids, and one of them was the uh, the idea that we – one of the ideas we that I ran through was take your kid and picture them as kind of your your – a little bit of electrons or, or energy. My seven-year-old boy is wound up full of energy, and at five to six o'clock in the evening, it's a madhouse in my house. There's kids screaming. There's things banging off the walls. All four kids are running all over the place. Um, I mean, when you get home, you almost feel like, man, I don't know if I want to walk through that door if I want to get back in the car and right, see if it calms down a little bit. Um, but that would be unfair to my wife, and I won't do that to her. Um, I met two of your kids just the other day, and uh, I can't imagine hearing those lovely... Lovely screams of joy that it would be a madhouse at <laughs> five or six o'clock at night. You saw them at ten o'clock in the morning. They were very shy and timid because there was people around. So, so for those of you that don't know, Hans and I sit catty corner to each other in our in our cubicles, and I was sitting at my desk and my computer, and, and all of a sudden I see like you know hands and and two eyes <laughs> pop up over the desk, and then kind of look back down and then back up again. I was like, I'm pretty sure that was a child. I'm pretty sure that wasn't Hans. <laughs> and sure enough, there were two kids over there. So, but uh, you take that analogy, when we took that analogy, we went to the fact that uh, your energy in your kid is basically like voltage. That's where, you're, where you get the voltage there and wound up, they're ready to go. They don't have a path to run on most of the time, which is why they're bouncing off the walls. Um, and it's kind of the same way electrons are. They don't, if you don't give them a path, they're just sitting there. They don't have any place to go, but they're wound up. And then we give them a path like, let's say if you put your kids on an obstacle course, an inflatable obstacle course, they will run through that and run through that and run through that. And that's if they started off at 14 volts. If you think your kid starts off at 14 volts at five o'clock, and he runs through it for two for two hours, he might be down to about eight volts because he's burned all that energy going through that obstacle course. So um, that was kind of the kid analogy, and that that them going through the obstacle course, they burn their energy. They're normally hot and sweaty by the time they've been running for two hours. That's the energy coming off. That's why you get heat from electricity um, when it's not doing anything. It's getting hot. That's the energy that was given off. And then if you add a whole bunch of kids, 
you put all the kids from precision on the obstacle course. Now you have current. Now you have flow. You have an increased amount of current going through it. So that was the kid analogy that um, we talked through, trying to, to land home a little bit of a tangible point for for most of us about how you think of kids or think of think of electricity in conjunction with kids. That's a good one. I think if you if you told my parents that they would uh, they would probably laugh and say Nate didn't go running near as much as he should have. <laughs> I. Uh, I don't know if I can say proudly, but I gave my mom every gray hair she has. Yeah, I can. I can. I would. I have. I'm four boys, so I don't know how we managed to go through through all of our growing up years without really having any broken bones to speak of. I'm sure somebody should have had broken bones, but Clay, you got a funny look on nah. your face. <laughs> no, no. I was I was a uh, an only boy. I had one sister that was a few years younger, and we still managed to pull off a number of. Injuries of various <laughs> degrees, so yeah, it's a gift, really. It it's a talent to think of it as. My mom says I'm really special, so. <laughs> um, so in that context, we then we we tied a little bit of that idea of the the Ohm's law theory a little bit because we kept talking about theory again. Where do you get voltage? Where do you where should that voltage go to zero? Um, Ohm's law, voltage equals current times resistance. I don't care about the, the formula. I care about the relationship between the two of those. So if resistance goes up, current's going to decrease. Your amps are going to decrease. That was one of the key things we talked about as well. What about in, in electrical theory, like flow versus resistance? How does, how does that look on the electrical side? And how does that tie to the hydraulic equivalent of if, if yep. it makes more yeah. sense? Yep, because you always have, there, there is a very strong co- correlation between uh, fluid dynamics and electrical theory, like yep. they're the same yep. same context, and as far as what you can substitute the names out, but they're roughly the same. Um, so when you create resistance to electron flow, what you're actually doing is your um, a voltage. You can cross voltage to pressure. You can cross current to flow, as far as your liquid flow. So those are two things. And if you create resistance on a harness, if you have a corroded point or corrosion on a harness. What you're actually doing is you're going to consume a uh, voltage trying to push current across that resistance. The same way that when you have a restriction on a, a fluid dynamics scenario circuit like hydraulics, you're going to consume pressure pushing across that. Both of those cases, you're going to get heat from that point where you're doing that because you're consuming energy that isn't actually doing any work. Your voltage is being consumed. Your uh, pressure is being consumed without doing any work but going across a restriction, and then that's where you get your hydraulic lines that get really, really hot, or your valve block gets really, really hot, or your harness gets really, really hot. Um, and a lot of times, what you'll see in electrical systems is you get that little magic puff of black smoke, and I, it, it's amazing because once that smoke comes out, there's no way to put it back in again, and the device refuses to work after that. The forbidden smoke, I think uh, a former coworker used to call it. Yes, yes. So, um, but that is one of the the, the crown correlates it. Um, you don't necessarily create a a pr- pressure is created at the at the source in voltage, so or with an electrical theory. So the supply voltage is what's going to create um, the power generation is where you create your pressure on that. Um, whereas resistance to flow is where you get your um, your pressure within a liquid system. So those are a little bit different values, but the same the same concept is that you have voltage, you have resistance. You're going to consume a trend across the resistance piece of it. Well, Hans, do you have anything else from training that you wanted to add or talk through? I've got all of all of my notes taken care of. So, no, I think uh, that's mostly where kind of we, if we were recapping electrical hydraulic theory, that was a lot of it. Um, I know for a lot of cases, that's some of this is 
pretty basic. We've covered it before. Um, the thing that I think is just trying to take that application and tie it to some of the things you chase every day. A couple of things that I would I said that we, we covered in training that I will just mention here because I think it's worthwhile mentioning again. Um, 80% of your electrical failures are going to be wire-related. Eight out of nine, ten times, if you walk to a planer, grab the harness instead of the device, you're going to be correct. Um, and then um, of those, I would say a large percentage of those wire failures are going to be connector related you, you didn't have it plugged in you didn't have it plugged in <laughs> yep pretty much that's the number one problem um so connector related is going to be corrosion whether that's pins p- pushed back or corrosion on a connector that's going to be the, the large part of it um and then always remember on your electrical side that fails three ways you got three ways of fail electrical system it's an open circuit means a cut wire it's a shorted circuit two wires are, are touching together or it's corrosion you have high resistance um and that's actually probably going to be fairly true. Most of those are going to be true on a, on a hydraulic system, too. You have a blockage, you have uh, a bypass that's open, or you have um, you have a sheeting off, and you don't have an open, you have no place for it to go. So um, other than that, I think it's, it's a, uh, it was a good year of training. I'm glad everybody did come. If you didn't come to training, I would, would encourage you to come back again next year. It's a, it's a great experience. Yep. Yeah. Well, Hans, thank you for taking time out of your day to – Come on down and talk with us. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Clay, thank you as well. Yep. We are going to roll it into our series of shop hacks as well. So I'm going to let Tyler go ahead and take it away from there. I'm joined now by Ray George, and I'm not going to give away your introduction. I'm going to let you talk about where your dealership is and what the dealership is. So go ahead, introduce yourself if you would, Ray. Yeah, so my name is Ray George with Solid Rock Ag Solutions. Uh, We're over in West Central Indiana uh, near Remington cover most of the west side of the state. Um, I'm typically the south salesman, so not as up at the shop as everyone else typically. But, uh, yeah, that's where we'll find us and pretty much specialize in all things aftermarket on planners. Well, I think you're still a fitting guy to ask this question, too, because I think you enjoy thinking through how to be more efficient in the shop. So go ahead. We've had a little pre-conversation, but I want you to share with everybody, what is the shop hack you want to pass along? So really when it comes to the shop, and when you're working with multiple people, it's really dividing up those tasks and getting one person focused on each step. So when you don't blend things together and you don't end up missing those easy things because you thought somebody else got it. Think of something like Delta Force hoses. Whenever I do a Delta Force install and I've got multiple people, we're going to come in and one person is going to tighten hoses. Minimize the risk of leaks, missing fitting connections, all that. And just really dividing that up and not getting sidetracked and lost rejoining the task because you think someone else handled a piece that would have been easy to miss. You've got clear lines of he owns this, this is what, or she owns this, this is what this person is doing on this install. So it's not a, well, I thought you were doing that. Well, I thought you were doing that type of situation. Absolutely. And then you can have somebody come back and recheck work. That's, that's perfectly great. But having that primary responsible for each portion of that really simplifies making sure things go smoothly and efficiently. Perfect. I'm going to have you tag onto this because right before we started talking, you told me about a tool that when you kind of became a technician or you always keep in your pocket. And I want you to talk about that tool as well. Yeah, it might, it might seem like an odd little thing. But one of the things I've always found the most annoying is knowing I can fix this connection if only I could get the pins out of the weather pack <laughs> or the amp connector. 
So I carry around the one tool that lives in my pocket. I mean, today I'm not expecting to do any service calls. It's still in my pocket. It's a little ant and weather pack removal tool that just floats around with me. If I need to pop a connection apart, there it is. Quick, easy, simple tool that when you don't have it can really, really hold up a fix. How long do you think it takes you to, to, to pop a pin out if you don't have that tool? <laughs> takes me a long time to create a tool to do what this simple thing would have done. Fair enough. Just getting that pin out without damaging more than what we wanted to can be really terribly annoying. For anybody who has not seen this before, what I'm going to try and do is put a link to that tool in the show notes. So look in the show notes for the tool Ray's talking about. It's an AMP brand, but it's a pin removal tool uh, so that everybody, I'll put it in the show notes so everybody has access to it. But that's perfect. Ray, thank you for the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.